talking there about sharing God's love with our neighbours, sharing what we believe. And so let's stand together and say together the words of the creed, which says in complete and beautiful balance what it is that we as Anglicans believe. Let's stand together. Together we say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. to us, even when we're microphoned. Father, thank you that you are faithful to us. And Father, as we come before your word this morning, maybe uh, full of joy or maybe full of trepidation, people who are anxious, fearful, I ask, Father, that by your spirit you would breathe your life in us and amongst us for your name and for your glory. Amen. You take a seat. <clears throat> Sorry about that slight uh, voice rise on the, the creed. Um, it's great to be with you uh, this morning. Um, just over 40 years ago, a lady called Mary decided that instead of going on a tropical holiday, that she would give up her holiday and that she would choose to spend her time preparing and then delivering a children's holiday club. She was a teacher normally, but she took some time, she prepared, and then she came to a small uh, village in the Yorkshire Dales, and over, of course, for a week, through a whole series of fun activities with some of the young people uh, who were there, explained some of the stories of the Bible, went through some of the stories of the Bible, we prayed together, and we went through who it was that Jesus is in Scripture, but also it is today, and the truth of that. About a couple of months later, through a mixture of things, I grew up in a Christian household. I've got two siblings who are also two and a half years older than me. As a consequence of that holiday club, but also of being part of the church, I came home one evening uh, to my mum. I think my mum was at home, dad was out. And I said to mum, I want to give my life to Jesus. I said, well, that's good news, she said. 
said, well, come, we, she happened to be in the bathroom, and my memory, much as it was as someone who's quite young, was that I was one side of the toilet seat, my mum was the other side of the toilet seat, and at that moment I prayed a prayer to give my life to Jesus. One woman chose to give her time to serve, to give, to arrange, not knowing whether it impacted anybody's life, but she chose to do that. It became a moment in my life where in my own walk with God. Fast forward a little bit of time, some of you who come here regularly or have read a little bit about me may already know this, is that um, for a period of time, about six or seven years, I was uh, at school here, and I generally my I can say this, Des, it's okay. Generally, my, my memories of my time at school here were very good, and I look back very fondly on my time here in Bath uh, at Kingswood. But one of the things that uh, I did was I enjoyed lots of the opportunities that school here gave me. But one of the things that uh, I was less good at was balancing all the pressures in my life. I was always a Christian, but I struggled with balancing all the different things in my life. So I kind of was playing a lot of cricket, playing lots of sport, doing lots of things, and it came to A-level result day. Slight bit of trepidation uh, as I was at home with my parents, got the letter. Actually, in fairness, uh, one of the, uh, there was at the school I was at, there was one of the masters who was particularly good at getting you uh, into some of, the, some of the universities with fairly low, low, low sort of results. Uh, and I, all I needed was three Ds to go to Durham University. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. Low bar. Open my piece of paper. No, three Ds even. For me, it became one of the big turning points in my life. I was fairly capable, I was not that bright, but actually my neglect of my studies my neglect of what I'd been called to do, finally came to a head. And the fact that, that though I professed with my mouth, there was a Christian, there were aspects of my life, what I applied myself to, what I didn't apply myself to, that came to roost on that particular day. And I had to face up to this. As I was reading through the Bible, and there's a particular verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, that where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and is saying this, whether you eat or whether you drink, in other words, whatever it is that you do in your life, whatever it is, your work, your play, your rest, do everything for the glory of God. I, that was a bit of a revelation to me, because I knew I couldn't say that. I knew there were aspects of my life that weren't glorifying God. And so at that point, it became a point where, although I knew God, I said, Lord, I want you to be Lord and King of my life. You're not just a saviour, you're a saving king who has the whole of my life, every part of my life, my mind, body, soul. I don't just determine this little bit of churchy bit that I do on a Sunday, but my whole life is to glorify you and to live by you. And that, again, became a significant turning point in my life. 
Fast forward a couple of years, uh, went off to, eventually I did a bit of work and went off to university somewhere and was fine and, and that was a great time, learned lots, my faith blossomed and grew uh, amongst other Christians but also amongst people who took the vehement opposite, uh, you know, kind of lifestyle and things to me and learning how do I take account of my life. But one of the things I had a passion to do, became a passion, is that the, what God had done in my life, I wanted to share in some way with other people. A couple of years later, later, two o'clock in the morning, I'm lying on the bottom of a boat in the middle of the forest in northern Argentina. It's pitch black, don't know where I am, I'm with four or five other people, and we're heading up a river, having landed in Buenos Aires a few, um, a kind of a day before, or a day or two before. The sounds of the forest are scary. Don't know what I'm doing. There are massive floods, so there's no land. The whole place has been flooded in that northern part. Why would any sane person choose to go across the world to go and share the good news of Jesus to people whose lives have been traumatized by massive floods, the poorest people in northern Argentina? Why would we go and help people are we just good? Or is there something more to it? Is there something more that us as Christians have got to bring and to give? It isn't just about we want to share you our way of life. But there's a gift in Jesus that calls us to care for people practically, to open up a place of faith for them. And so that became another point in my life. And as I wonder this morning, one of the things I'd just like to ask you this morning is that what story have you got to tell either of your own walk with God? Or how you may say, well, I can't actually be as concrete as that, Tim. What about where you are with God, even if that's tentatively? Or where are you stepping out in faith, doing something new and fresh? Your story isn't just of what God did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, but last week. What is it God is doing in and through you today, this week? And that's a challenge for us. Why is it that Christians over 2,000 years have risked their lives to bring the good news of Jesus to some of the most broken, the poorest, some of the most hostile, uh, parts of the world. Is it just we want to assimilate people to our culture, as many people would think, a bit cynically the world might think, or is it because there's something in the person of Jesus Christ that uniquely shapes and changes everything? We're looking at these um, verses in John 17. Uh, just for these three Sundays, we've had two, this is the last one, this Sunday looking at this chapter that has inspired Christians um, over the centuries about what the church is all about. What's at the heart of the church? What are we called to be as God's people? We've looked a few weeks ago, the fact that many of us are very tempted, a little bit like me during my childhood, was that tempted, although I, I know Jesus, actually the reality is the temptation is one to live for our glory rather than God's glory but we're called to live lives in total surrender to God. 
And then last week we looked at the fact that the our type of our community is shaped and shown in love. God's love for us, God's love that dwells within us, and then how we then take that out into the world. This week, as Esther said, we're looking at the, that our focus as God's people is in mission. It's about outward looking. We read in the Gospel, as Des read to us, these two verses I particularly want to focus on. In John 17, verse 6, he started with, I've revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, if you've got your Bible in front of you, apologies, I can't remember the page name, you'll notice that at the beginning of verse 6, there's a little um, hyphen bit, I've forgotten what it's called, that says A, and it says can also be translated, the literal Greek translation of you is actually your name. It says, so verse 6 would read this, I have revealed, this is Jesus praying, I have revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. I have revealed your name, says Jesus. I have revealed the name of God. And in verse 26, you'll see it's the same thing right at the end, the last verse uh, that Des read as well. I have made your name known to them and will continue to make your name known to them. See what Jesus is doing in his prayer. He's talking about the great purpose of God in the world. If you were to ask, and I was to ask you, what is God's purpose in the world this morning? Well, you may say, well, I heard you last week. Surely it's got something to do with love, has it? Isn't it something to do with love? Well, I'd say, yeah, that's part of it. The God of the Bible is a God of love. And one of the great purposes of God is to demonstrate and show his love. Well, also, wouldn't we say, I don't know, wouldn't we say that something is about forgiveness? The God of the Bible is a forgiving God. The God of the Bible is a healing God. God of the Bible is a God who reconciles one to another, but also us to God. You say, well, yes, that is in the Bible. Surely the God of the Bible may be also about defeating evil. God understands the challenges that we face in this world. What about ending wars, bringing peace? that God is a God of mercy, God is a God of justice. Surely that's God's purpose in the world, isn't it? Surely, we, can we say all those things? Yeah, and the answer is, in Scripture, we find all those things. But if you were to ask what's one of the single greatest purposes of God, that as we look at Jesus' life, particularly through the Gospels, and Jesus is the one, remember, who lived his whole life in conformity to God's will and God's purposes. We find it in verse 6 of our reading, but also later in verse 26. Jesus says, I have revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. What is God after this morning? It's to see his name revealed. To see God's name known for God to be revealed who God is. Jesus' whole ministry was designed to reveal what his Father was like, that God is a wonderful God, a good God, and the Son of God knew him and demonstrated and showed that, both in word and deed. See, I don't know about you, but when I chat to friends who have nothing to do with the church, 
I'm not, actually often with people in the church as well, people seem terribly confused about what God or who God is like. What is God's character? See, I don't know about you this morning, but people frequently once seem to accuse God of having motives of being wicked, of being cruel or heartless. Imagine if I asked you honestly this morning, all of us would have had moments when we, when we attributed to God things like that because things have gone wrong in the world, when disaster has struck, when a friend or maybe you or a close friend has cancer, when things have happened, when you end up in a place of desolation where your work life falls apart or your relationship falls apart, you end up lonely, betrayed, when someone dies or someone is murdered. How often, and be honest this morning, have you said, in your heart maybe, maybe not with your lips, God doesn't care. God doesn't care about me. God is unconcerned about me. Do you know what? God is unkind. God is unjust. I think it'd be less than human if at points in time you haven't in your heart, you may have not said it with your lips, but came to that place and tried to make sense of the world we live in. See, the whole world accuses God of having a character other than the character God does have. And you see, the essence of sin is to actually indict God and put him on trial as though it's the one God of the universe has committed those crimes against humanity or even personally against us. And in our own minds or in hearts, we're often trying and convicting God for the things that happen in this world. And do you know what? God doesn't want it that way. That's not how God wants it. And that's precisely why God sent Jesus. Jesus came to show us what God is really like. Jesus came, God, God sent Jesus, and Jesus came to show us what God is really like. Jesus prays in John 17, verse 6, I made you known, Father, I showed your character to the world. I demonstrated to everyone that you're a God who's forgiving. I demonstrated that you're a God who's just. I demonstrated you're a God who cares for the poor. I demonstrated a model to the world that you're a God of compassion. You have a heart for the broken, a heart for the sinful. You're a God who cares. And you're a God who runs towards those who are repentant this morning. From the very beginning, Father, I have revealed your name. Jesus has revealed God's name this morning. Jesus has revealed God's name. 
So what is Christian or, or mission about then? It is about revealing the name of Jesus, of God. Why do we engage in missions? Why do we go and preach? Why do we go and explain? Why do we teach? Why do we feed the poor? Why do we go after the hungry? Why do we care for the sick and the needy? To spread the name of God, because that's what Jesus did. To show what God is really like, so that God will be known around the world and acknowledged and recognised for who God is and understood for who God is. That verse in 1 Corinthians 10 that shaped my life at age 18 mirrors the verse um, again that Paul writes in Colossians, Colossians 3, 17, which is this, which gives us a reason for all of us Christians. He says this, and whatever you do in all of your life, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, today, um, or maybe tomorrow, depending on what you're doing tomorrow, in your workplace, if you're known as a Christian, you are there to uphold God's name. In whatever leisure activities you're involved in, you're there to uphold God's name. You are Christ's ambassador wherever you are, if you are a Christian. What is God like? Does he change your life? It changes everything as Jesus comes into our life and by his spirit, he transforms us to be like Jesus. Therefore, the way that we deal with people, the way we treat people, our whole way of doing life is different. So what confidence do we have to be able to go across the world towards some other place as well as having that confidence in Jesus? Well, more specifically, we see in the scripture and we see throughout the Bible that God is a God who calls his own uniqueness. The Bible teaches us that the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the creator of the world is unique. In Isaiah 46 verse 5 it says, To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. We don't just come with a message like other people's messages. For us as Christians, we come with the one and true and living God as a message and as a hope and as a living expression of who Jesus is, the God in Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now this morning, if you're not sure of being able to do that, you think, well, I don't quite know how to, to do that. If you're not sure to take confidence in the uniqueness of our message to people around you. I think there are many things you can do from that, read scripture, but actually one of the things, if you want to bear it down, is this, is if you look at all the other religions or all the other philosophies around the world, or particularly all the other founders of the great religions of this world, basically all the other founders have died, except one. There's one founder of religion who is alive, who conquered death, and that is Jesus, and is alive today. He has unique authority as the world's only conqueror of death. And this morning, have you personally surrendered your life to Jesus, to the unique authority of Jesus? Do you want to even? I wonder whether you need to today. 
mission is all about revealing the name and character of God, the God of the Bible, expressed in Jesus to our world. But you may think, well, Tim, that seems a bit exclusive, that seems a bit unique, um, that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. How don't we avoid making sure we don't get over a little bit of a clique over here? But you see, as we look in Scripture again and again and again, the God of the Bible is hugely inclusive, radically inclusive, and welcoming too. Whole books of the Bible are devoted to show God's infinitely large heart towards the whole world. For example, if you go back to the book of Jonah, you'll find the religious and uh, ethnic bigotry utterly condemned. God regularly condemns the narrowness of heart. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of welcoming outcasts, welcoming all. As it says in Luke 15, he welcomed sinners and came to eat with them. There is an all in the heart of God. There is an all in the heart of God. You, this morning, and me included. If you're rich, you're included. If you're poor, you're included. If you think of yourself as amazing, successful, you're included. If you consider yourself to be a failure, you're included. If you have a great home, you're included. If you have virtually nothing, you're included. There is but one God, one true God, the one who revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And this true God has a large and infinite heart of love for all. And if that's what God is like, then we need to reach out with that unique message and to, in reaching out to all for us here today. I think it was Archbishop William Temple. Is it William Temple? He used to famously said this. He said, the church is the only organisation on earth that primarily exists for the benefit of non-members. We are outward-looking people, sharing the good news of Jesus we've received to see others' lives transformed. I don't know about you, I've been involved in lots of different churches in my life, I've been involved in the church nearly all my life, and there are two great temptations in the church, one of which is this, is to sort of go over to this side and say, do you know, the world is really hard out there. It's impure. Everything's going wrong. There's evil around. I'm just going to retreat over this side and try to hold myself away from the, the world. And we get cut off, and we don't impact anybody. We don't can make a difference to anybody. The other extreme is this, is we say, to be honest, the world's out there. We just want to be out there the whole time, but we actually are no different to the world. Before we know it, we, we reflect the spirit of the age. We lose sight of who Jesus is. And it's mission, it's an outreach, that we avoid both extremes of either separating ourselves off or just going out into the world and losing a sense of our uniqueness of who God has called us to be. It was Emil Brunner who said this, the church exists by mission as fire exists by burning. Early on in Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we read on a previous Sunday, in John 17, verses 18, if you've got your Bible in front of me, as the Father sent me, so I send you. The word mission 
Um, for those who, who don't know, sorry, am I rattling a bit? Alex, am I? Okay, I'll try and behave myself and not move around. Comes from the Latin, meaning from missio, I send. Um, and all of us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this morning you may not feel like it, you may not think like this, but you are a missionary. You are a missionary. Commissioned and uniquely equipped by God with the gifts, the unique experiences to make an impact on other people's lives. You may not understand that, you may not have got to grips with that, but that's how God sees you. Before I uh, came to St. Sidon's, one of the things that I did even before the interviews, and one of the things I've done throughout my life, is I've always been uh, someone who's loved praying and walking at the same time. And so one of the things I thought I'd do is, as part of coming, before coming, to see is this somewhere I felt uh, God was either calling me or you might think you wanted me to be here, is to prayer walk the parish. And so I, I, I've, I prayer walk the parish maybe three or four times, literally walking through from the top end, starting at Summerhill Road by Bath Spa University, and praying that God's name would be revealed to all those studying and working there. Then walking down through the streets, you went on the approach, the golf course, or Victoria Park. As people are involved in leisure, and various, I've just dropped my talk so it could go anywhere, um, involved in leisure, is, and saying, Lord, that your name would be revealed. As people are about their leisure in this city, it's a city built on that. But then as you go around the circus of the Royal Crescent that were in the parish, that your name would be revealed in amongst those people's lives and all that they're involved there. Then down through some of the shops and some of the businesses, there are people, huge amounts of livelihood of people in the parish, both in terms of jobs, but also in, um, the, as Jeremiah, that prayer of Jeremiah, praying God's blessing on the city. That it would be a city where people flourish and prosper and grow. And then down towards Snow Hill, of walking around Snow Hill and praying God's blessing, and that God's name would be revealed to all those who live and uh, spend their lives in that part of the parish. Then down Walcott Street, with the various traders, that your name, Lord, would be revealed to all within our parish. It's an amazing context we're in. We are placed, we've got an amazing history, we've got an amazing inheritance, both spiritual and otherwise. But we're called to make a difference. We are sent by God to reach and to see God's name revealed in and around those. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in us as it is in heaven, in this parish, but also beyond to the various uh, charities and missionary partners who are involved around the world. You know, it's been a great privilege just in the last week meeting people who have had connections with this church, this community going back, who suddenly want to have come turn themselves, I'd like to be baptised. Who are a little bit loosely connected but they see this as their church. I said, well, why do you want to be baptised? Well, this is my church. Well, do you know what baptism is? And you get into conversation about who Jesus is. Amazing privilege to beat it, bump into people in the cafe, just talking 
about life and where they're up to. Bumped into a couple of people. I picked up Hannah from a, a play uh, evening she was with. And a couple there, don't come to this church, said they used to come down to this church for toddlers. They had a period of their life, they were always in the cafe, always came to toddlers, because it's an amazing place to meet and to do things. That's fantastic. Domi, I know, he just started Bible studies in Snow Hill, both for youth and also for adults. We need to pray, Lord, that we would see God's name revealed to those who come with a hunger to meet with a living God. Week and a bit ago, uh, I was popping in to see someone at the St Andrew's side, and uh, I parked outside the um, the florist. Am I right, saying the florist? Yeah, parked outside the florist. Looked up, said thirty minutes. Thought I'll do, I'll do what I need to do in thirty minutes. Wandered off, did my thing, uh, and then came back. I wasn't really paying attention, and came back and found as I got back to my car, there was a note on my window screen. And you know when you have that sinking feeling, you think. Oh, Traffic wardens have already got me. They've got me clocked already, which is a bit of a worry. And so I did then think, said, please, can you pop in uh, to the shop, the fry shop? So I, I go into the florist shop thinking I'm going to get told off. I've parked there too long, and it's their business. I'm running their business, and all those things. I said, oh, yeah, no, no, that's fine. I went there. And then the, the owner of the shop came out, and I got in a conversation with him, and I explained a little bit about who I was and why I was here. He said, oh, well, and there's a gentleman sat outside in his car um, who is waiting for you. I said, oh, right, okay. He said, well, actually, the bad news is he's clipped your car. And he wants to, he waited. But he said I wanted, he wanted to wait to let me know personally that he'd banged into my car on his way in. Now, I was a bit stretched for time. I wasn't feeling full of grace and patience, the love of the Lord. But I went to this gentleman who was ashen-faced. Uh, I'd just popped in from Western to try and do a few jobs. I was just able to chat to him and explain a little bit about who I was, why I was here, and said, no, that's fine, happens to it all, I've done it before, I'm sure many of you went because you're very good drivers, but all of us are called, sometimes just very simply to connect with people, to explain something, to get alongside people, people who expect you to rant and rave at them, suddenly then are, well, why are you calm? I don't know why it's calm, but God enables us to bring the good news to others. So my question is this, is that the start, the end of services, one of the common things at the end of lots of services, is we pray this. You may not think you're a missionary, you may be completely intimidated by the idea you're a missionary. But we pray this, send me out in the power of your spirit to live and to work for your praise and glory. See, we don't go on this kind of missionary journey on our own. It's not just your strength, your gifts, your abilities that you take. But it's God who is with us. It's his power, the power of his spirit that enables us in all that we do out of us. Now, you may sit there and say, I'm making tentative steps, Tim. You know, I'm not a great missionary. But my question is, how willing are you this morning, ahead of the week that you've got? How willing are you to be used by God for all he's called you to this week? It's been a challenging week for some of us, 
and you sit and think, in my own resources, I can't do it. But actually with God, all things are possible. We don't do it on our own. We don't, it's not our own power to do it. It's only God's work by his spirit in and through us. And just as I finish, I wonder whether that is you, whether you'd like to join me this week. I'm going to begin this week by praying a very simple prayer of confession, which is John 15, verse 5, at the beginning of every day. And I wonder whether you would like to use that with me. If you sit and think, yeah, I'm up for this, but I don't know where I am, it says this. It's Jesus speaking, but it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, in the call to transform this world, apart from you, we can do nothing. I can't think what I ought to think. I can't feel what I ought to feel. I won't be able to say the things I need to say in the pressurised circumstances I find myself. I won't be able to act in a loving way to those I work with, those I live with, those I spend my time with. One of those opportunities that God brings to you and you just, I won't be able to take it unless you come and you, I know your life, that you remain in me. Apart from God, we can do nothing. It's one of the reasons we pray, come Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with the power and the life to live for him this week. We live in a world that has so many struggles, so much heartache, so much pain, so much division. But we are a beacon of hope in this church. We're a beacon of hope, carrying the life of God, both within these walls but also outside these walls as we offer ourselves to God this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the extraordinary gift of Jesus. And this morning we commit ourselves afresh to following you. We repent of our willfulness, our sinfulness, our desire to live our lives in our own strength, in our own way. And we turn afresh to you, the way, the truth and the life. Father, we pray that you would fill us all afresh with your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, I pray. <coughs> Breathe your life in and through us. As your people who are sent into the world to declare your name to let your name be known in word and in deed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.